was my message, and I'm going to see what it was. But uh, we really do believe in camps. I, I, I believe strongly in youth camp, kids camp. We, 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 we put our attention to this, put our resources in that. Um, we, we, men's retreat, women's retreat, these are the kind of things where when you get away and you get isolated a little bit, when the kids get away from mom and dad, um, they act different, don't they? They think different. They, they are different. And these are opportunities for us to really see God do some stuff. And, and, I, and I know I've mentioned this, but I went to one kid's camp. <clears throat> I was filled with the Holy Spirit, called to ministry. I went to one youth camp. I met Linda at that youth camp. Um, so far, my return value on my camps is pretty high. Uh, we, we know that, that God does stuff at these things, and so we, we do put the, the energy and resource into that. And uh, the fireworks stand that we just finished with, we, we, the best that we can tell, this is a guess in there right now. We won't know for sure, but it looks like we made over $100,000 this year. <clears throat> Guys, that's huge. That all goes to ministries of our, of our church, youth, children's, women, uh, men, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and most of the departments, I think maybe all of them, use that money, part of that money, to offset things like camps and stuff where we know where God is going to be doing stuff and ministry, outreaches, that kind of stuff. That's, what's, that's what this is about. And so <clears throat> it's just been a, God's really been blessing us with this. And I, and I do believe that that is actually part of uh, my message I'm going to be speaking about here in a second. But I also want to mention this week, starting tonight through Wednesday night, is the uh, Mario Murillo Crusade. Please uh, come to this, <clears throat> even if you only can come to a night or, or something of that. I, and, and come with the expectation that God is going to do something. Don't, don't come to watch a show. I think sometimes we do that, right? We go to these things. We're like, I want to I see what God is going to do. I don't think that's bad, but I think you miss out when that happens. Come expecting God to do something in your mind, your spirit, change you, um, uh, fill you with his presence, give you some, some, um, some scriptural foundation for something God's doing in your world, in your life, and just let God be really big. Okay, so, so try to, to be at that. We won't have service Wednesday night because of this. Uh, the, the, so go to that instead. Um, all of the hundreds and hundreds of people that come to Wednesday night, go to the crusade instead. <clears throat> um, you know who you are. I, I did want to mention something else too because I, I just I found this to be very interesting. And this actually is kind of part of what I'm speaking about today. But I, I saw this this last week where California passed a... a, um, a uh, whatever they call that, it's not a law or bill or something, but where they are going to be sending stimulus checks out to all of the residents of California. And here's the reason, to offset inflation. <laughs> are you following me? So, so for somebody that doesn't understand Economics 101... The stimulus checks is what causes inflation. That is, the result of that is inflation. People say, well, no, it's, you know, we got extra money to do something. No, you, you didn't get extra money. That's your, that's your tax money to begin with. You didn't get extra money. They gave you some of your money back, but because they take it out of the government's money, instead of letting you spend your own money, you're getting about 30% on the dollar at best. 
So now all of that other is inflation. And they're giving money to help with inflation, which causes inflation. So move to California if you're a complete moron. <clears throat> so this is, uh, I'm going continue with this series. Somebody, somebody bought me this years ago. This is The Frog and the Rock, and this series is The Frog and the Rock. And I can't remember when I got this, but it was a long, long time ago. Because I've been doing these, this Frog and the Rock thinking, this Frog and the Rock series for years and years, uh, to try to get us to think. Okay, my goal with this is to really help us to think and to, 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 to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you stuff to think about, and I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to take that into your heart and your spirit so that it becomes part of your, your existence. I, I want you to, to see God bigger. And, and part of the reason with this is we get all of the, the uh, muck and the darkness of life on us. Uh, there's, there's two basic ways that you miss what God is trying to uh, to tell you and to show you is one is just blatant sin. You, you're sinning. You know you're sinning. That's Hebrews 10. Um, sinning willfully. You know you're doing this, and it, and it will blind you. It will stop God from being able to to speak into your life because God is light. He is He is revelation. He is truth. And when the closer you get to Him, the more that becomes uh, revelation for you. And so that light shines into your existence and reveals Jesus Christ to you. Sin will be that darkness that, that comes in between and begins to separate, and it pushes you away. The Lord is the same. He's not moving. He's not going anywhere. But you're pushing yourself into the darkness. You're, you're pushing against Jesus, and you're pulling into the darkness. That's what blatant sin does for you. The, the Kind of the next uh, layer of that is just the, the existence of life. And, um, and this is in any setting, any culture, any situation. There's always the stuff that we have to interact with in life that, that causes us problems. And it just, it's like, it's like we're, we're filled with static electricity and you're walking through a bunch of lint. That's kind of how life is. And so stuff is always just attaching to you and, and trying to mess with you. And it, and it blinds you and it, and it hinders what the Lord is trying to do in your existence. First time I ever saw this years ago, I was... I was, in, um, I was in Bible college. It was the one year I went to Bible college, and, uh, which, which has given me the foundation for everything that I speak to you on a regular basis. But I, that, that one year I went to Bible college, which I failed all those classes, so don't, don't hold out hope there. But, but I, I was working about 30 minutes away. I was working at a restaurant, Bennigan's. They don't exist anymore, but they were great. And, um, and, and I, I would... The whole way, I could tell the difference. I did, this wasn't like an intentional self-study I was doing or anything. This just became obvious to me. The Holy Spirit was showing this to me at the time, and it really taught me a lot. I, I kind of stumbled into this. But I, I could tell a major difference when I spent that 30 minutes or so driving to work praying. Now, I didn't have a lot of other options uh, going on in my world like, like I do today where I can get in the car and I can turn on the radio, I can, you know, I can listen to Spotify, I can do this. This was a 79 Pinto with AM. It didn't have air conditioning, so I had to the windows down. So even if I did have a stereo, it was so loud in there. And right around 55 to 60, it started shaking so bad that I, could, I, would, I would have to concentrate and hold on to the steering wheel because it was shaking bad. And if I went over 60, I would have a blowout. So it was always a journey. But... but I would, I would pray. When, when I prayed on the way to work, work was different. 
I, I thought differently. I had different attitude. Um, I was much more about witnessing to people. I was waiting on or interacting in a positive way rather than a negative way. When I didn't spend that time praying, I became susceptible to a lot of stuff. I became susceptible to the attitudes or mentalities or, or, um, or wrong thought processes or all kinds of stuff going on. And then I found that when, when I would spend that same time going back after work, this was usually around 2 in the morning, when I would go back to the school and if I would pray the whole way, it would take about 15 or 20 minutes, but I could start to feel like the light to start coming on again or, or the darkness receding or kind of like you, you step into a shower and you're really, really muddy and after a while like, like plops of mud fall off and it was that kind of thing. I could sense this. I could feel this. And, and the longer I spent praying, the more I could feel the, the darkness and the muck of, of what I had uh, picked up, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I think you know what I'm talking about, that this, would, this stuff would get in my head and my spirit, and it was just like thickness uh, around me. And, I, and that when I would pray all the way home, I could feel this um, receding and falling off. And I really do believe this is kind of how the church is today, that with so much of life, and I'm saying people that are not, they're not trying to actively sin, they're trying to serve God, but... But there's so much stuff in life and so much things that we're watching and listening to and, and, and partaking of emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And Satan is very good at making sure we have plenty of information at our disposal and plenty of opportunity for temptation and sin and wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes and everything else. And it, and it just is honest. And so then when I speak about something like I'm going to this morning, it's difficult sometimes for us to really capture it at the depth that we're supposed to. Why? Not because we're not trying to or we're, we're pushing against it or whatever, but it's because there's so much stuff and there's so much thickness that it's hard for, for the Holy Spirit to break through all the layers that we have allowed to build up. And, and again, I'm not saying we're intentionally trying to build this stuff up. Okay, so with that, I, I think we are entering into a, a, a serious... Um, recession. I think we're already in a recession right now. This is how you know when you're in a recession. When costs go up as quickly as they have, but your salary did not go up, that's a recession. When there's a gradual increase according to cost of living and that kind of stuff, that's different. But when it goes up as high as it is, I mean, I, when, I, when I fill up my Jeep now, it's $100. To fill up my Jeep. Lynn and I just spent this last week in Texas seeing our grandkids. And um, we didn't actually visit, but we got very close to hell, it felt like. But <laughs> I didn't see it, but I think it was just right over the horizon there. Um, I, could, I could hear it, right? But uh, gas was, in, we, we saw it as low as three ninety nine. Now, here's the thing with me is people say, well, the president doesn't have anything to do with this. And governors don't have anything to do with this. And Then why is it a dollar cheaper in Texas? Because it's a conservative state. That's why. Elections do matter. So, um, but I'm seeing this recession, and we're, we're in the recession right now, but I believe it's going to get really bad. And if we don't do something major, major changes, we're going to go into a depression. As this is... This is um, the, the escalation of inflation 
you say, well, yeah, inflation always gets me. Remember the Carter years. But it took a long time to get to that point in the Carter years. We did it in about a year. That's, that's uh, heading toward depression mentalities, right? And so, so that's not the point of the message. It's not, okay, bye-bye, you're dismissed. It's not that kind of thing. Uh, I want to try to show you something I think it's important here is what happens in the middle of this stuff. Because I do believe that God shows us a lot of things about this specifically. And, and, and I believe Scripture is full of God showing us he will take care of us. Now, I, I have been involved with it 25 years ago with like hyper-faith, um, prosperity gospel and stuff like that. And I believe that is Satan's perversion of something that is true, but that Satan uses it to hurt and to harm. Um, God does not, God does not uh, just because you serve Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire. Okay, I don't believe that's scriptural. I, I don't, it, it flies in a lot of the face of the life Paul lived, right? Or here's a big one, the life Jesus lived. If you're Jesus... And, and there is such a thing as a prosperity gospel. Don't you think Jesus should have been the wealthiest guy on the planet? Right? So, so that's not the point. But I do believe that God takes care of you and he will bless you in the middle of all the stuff. Now, I believe that it, that it rains on the just and the unjust. I believe I'm following God. I'm, I'm listening to him. I'm in his word. I'm seeking him. Um, and I have a good relationship with him. But I still pay $100 to fill up my Jeep. I was sitting beside the gas at the gas tank the other day. This guy pulls up in a Prius hybrid, and he's filling up his tank, and, he's, and he gets in, and he's like, oh, it was like $32 or something like that. And he's like, what's going on? The prices are crazy. I just wanted to kick his rear just for no reason. I was like, I'm going to have to beat you up now because I'm sitting there, and mine's going 98 99 and he's, You already look like something wrong with you and drove up in your Prius. But <laughs> did I cross a the line there? That's where kicking his rear is all right, but not Prius jokes. Okay, so, <laughs> so um, it rains on the just and the unjust. I get that. But I also believe that Scripture shows us God will take care of you. And he will provide for you when everyone else around you is not being provided for that's not serving God. Guys, this is important for us because I'm going to say some stuff this morning that I hope will stick with you in the next six months, a year, two or three years when, when things really are going to get worse. I, we, are, we are on a train wreck right now in our country. And unless we do major, major changes. And by the way, um, this, is, this is one of the things that I think we're kind of getting wrong a little bit in our country right now is uh, Trump is not Jesus and he's not our hope. Okay? He's not. I'm, I was definitely pro-Trump, and I would vote for that man again because he really did all the things he said he was going to do, which was weird. It caught us all off guard, right? We're like, what? So, but, I, but I understand he is not my savior. And we vote in a good, solid conservative, vote in DeSantis or something like that. Okay, I get that. I'm on board. But that, that is, they are not our savior. Jesus is. And I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit for us this morning, that Jesus is, is our hope in the middle of everything. So, so the frog in the rock, frogs hopping through the woods, minding his own business, not doing anything wrong. He's not a bad, not a bad frog. He's a good frog. And, uh, and a rock falls on top of the frog, okay? 
um, and traps him underneath the rock. And he can't do anything about this. He, he can, he's trying to get the rock off of him, can't get the rock off, squiggling, moving, whatever, can't get the rock off. He is trapped. He's going to die underneath that rock. You come walking by, and you see these two frog lips that are sticking out from underneath the rock. That's so he can talk to you. And he says, I need help. And so you just reach down and take the rock off of the frog. It's, n- it's not a taxing thing for you. It doesn't, doesn't challenge you. you. There's no energy wasted or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, you just move the rock off of the frog. I really believe that's how it is with us and the Lord. For us, we are trapped under the rock. We cannot move the rock. We will, we will die under that rock. But the Lord just takes the rock off of our life. For us, it's supernatural. It's beyond the natural realm. It's supernatural. We call that miracles. The Bible calls it miracles because it is. For us, it is a miracle. It is outside the, the, the paradigm that God has created for us. God has created the laws of, of nature and physics and all this other kind of stuff that we are limited to. You will always be limited to those unless something supernatural or outside the natural happens. Well, God is not limited to the natural. He's not, he, he is outside of it. He created like gravity. God is not, what is God standing on right now? Think about that. Gravity isn't holding God to something. It's holding us. It's holding you to your seat. Gravity holds you down, right? Holds you back. It's the man. But, but God, it doesn't do that to God. God is not limited to gravity. So when God does something which we perceive as being supernatural or outside the scope of the natural it's miraculous, and it truly is miraculous for us. When you move the rock off of the frog, that is a miracle for that frog, but it's not a miracle for you. It's just who you are. So when God moves the rock off of us, God is just being him. It's not taxing to God. We've done this horribly in Western Christianity. We have two kinds of faith. We have salvation faith, and then we have miracle faith. And salvation faith is really easy. Right? You just pray a prayer and you get saved. And, 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 we, and it's very simple. Now, my goal this morning is not to convince you salvation is a lot more difficult than what we make it. That's not it. I really do believe it is simple. It's, it does demand you. I think that's missing in a lot of church thinking nowadays. It does demand you. It demands all of you. It's not this, you know, we always talk about this free gift that God doesn't expect anything from you. That's not true. He expects you he wants you all in. But it really is that simple, and it is, and it is easy faith to believe that. Then we have this big, difficult faith for miracles, healing, that kind of stuff. Big faith. And we have to, we have to quote scriptures, and we have to posture ourselves and pray a certain way and get our mind right and all these other things. Right? Don't, even, don't ever speak anything negative. I came out of that where if you said, I have a headache, people would say, I, I had people say this to me, I have a headache. Oh, don't claim that. You don't have a headache. I do have a headache. No, you don't. I do. That's just stupid, okay? So we play all these stupid little games, but here's the reality. God healing me of a headache is not taxing to him. That's not... It's, it's miraculous for me because I'm limited to this, the physiology of this body, and I have a headache. 
But God is not limited to that. He's not limited to time and space. He's not limited to the laws of nature. He's not limited, but he created them. He's not limited to the laws of physics, although he created them. And so he can reach into my existence and change something because it's who he is. It's like if you make a Play-Doh doll, you can come back and take that doll's arm. That's probably not the best example. You can put a good arm on a doll that you forgot, you know, a little Play-Doh doll, because you are outside of the paradigm of that Play-Doh doll. You're, you're in charge, and God can do that. We see it as a miracle, for God is just who he is. And this is our challenge is to say, God didn't help me see you that way. It doesn't take extra faith to get God to do the supernatural. It's the same faith. Isaiah 53 shows us it's the same faith that we call spiritual salvation. It is for physical healing. It's the same faith, same cross, same moment in time. All of it has already been provided. God shows us that in Scripture. We're the one who dissects it and puts them into categories of really difficult and not as difficult and really easy kind of categories. We do that, but Scripture does not do that. Here's one of the ways I can show you this is we do this. We'll say things like when somebody's a group of people are praying, We'll be going around the circle, and people are giving their needs. Well, you know, I found out uh, that uh, this happened or this major thing or somebody got cancer. I mean, we go around the circle, and then invariably, it happens every single time. I've ever seen a group of this. Somebody will say, well, I have a need too, but it's not a big need like their, their needs. Right? What are we doing? Now, now sometimes they mean the, the, the enormity of the, of the tragicness of how it impacts their life, and I get that. But that's not always what we mean. Most of the time, I think we mean mine's an easier thing. You know, they got cancer. I just need um, this. I just need to get this job. That one's a big one. This one's an easy one. Except for God, there's no separation in that. Think about this. If God can orchestrate things and change things and move people in situations and timing and all kinds of stuff for you to get that job, maybe He's even working against your interview. And he has to get you that job? What, how, is, how is that diffi- more difficult than physically healing somebody? We do this in our heads. This is, not, this is not reality. This is something we do. And we create. And so, this may be a little more difficult for me. But I want us to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I'm going to put this into two categories. The first category is how we deal with this when, when difficult things are happening, um, financial things, recession, that kind of stuff is just happening. Okay? What, what promise do we have? Remember, all it is for God is to take the rock off. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. You know what she's doing there, right? She's posturing a little bit. She's trying to throw out a resume to see if Elisha or God would listen to the resume. You know what I'm saying. We do this, right? When we start praying, we ask God, we remind God of all the the things we've been doing pretty good on lately. Right? God, I've been at church like almost every week. And God, I've listened to like at least half of those services. Right? We do this stuff, right? God, remember last week, I gave a little extra in the offering. We do this kind of stuff. I've done this with God when it comes to even the pastor kind of thing. Is I, especially when it gets really difficult, pressured, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm under the stress and the pressure of, God, I need you to do this, and it doesn't seem to be happening. 
I'll just kind of remind God, God, I've, I've served you faithfully for years. And God, you always struggled with your people. I do too. But God, I've held in there. Right? Right? We do this stuff, don't we? We posture. We throw our portfolio out there. Like God is sitting there going, I don't know if I... Wait, you're a pastor? Well, hold on. Hey, let's get some resources over here for Scott. He's been pastoring for a long time, he says. Right? We do this kind of stuff. That's what she's doing here. But you realize this has nothing. This is irrelevant when it comes to what God wants to do with you. Do you know why God does stuff with you? Because he really loves you. That's it. That's all you need. That's, that's the only portfolio you need. God, you love me. Your word is full of it, Lord. I see it. So he says, but, now, but now, she says, now our creditors come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? I, I read a, a book about 25 years ago, and it's always stuck with me. I, th- I, I have a copy of it in my office. But it was by uh, Tommy Barnett. He was a pastor in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And he wrote a book called A Miracle in the House. And it, and it really changed my thinking about how God does stuff. Because I realized when you go through all the stories in Scripture, almost every single time, God doesn't do some kind of outside the scope kind of thing. He's, he's doing stuff with you in your life, with the details of your life as they already are. The miracle is already there in your existence the Lord just ignites it with his power. But, but your life already has the stuff that God needs to do the miracle. Now, why is that important? Because I think sometimes we, this, we have to have that extra faith or that different faith to really see God do something. We, we take that into God has to do something completely outside the scope, different from all the things that are going on in my life for him to be in charge of what's going on, for him to do that miracle. When, when really the, the, the title of the book I think is great, the miracle is already in the house. As a pastor, I, I really switched gears back in those days and began to realize that when God wants to do something supernatural with us, he uses us. That's, that's who he is. That's how he does it. We, we always want to see this outside thing. So somebody was talking to me about the building with this. And, um, you know, how is God going to do this? We're going to have to have this outside, you know, somebody's going to have to give us a couple million dollars for us to be able to build a building or whatever. Well, I just don't see that that's what Scripture says. I think he's going to use us. You say, well, us doesn't have that. That's okay. God does, and he can use us. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to happen yet, but God is going to use us to do the miracle. We're just going to have to be ready for, for him to speak and to do, and we've got to be there. Now, this is how, these are the details of how that all works. And he says, tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, nothing at all, which is not true. Because then she says what she actually has in the house. We do this. You and I, we do this. Well, what, is, what can God use about you? Nothing. I've had this conversation with so many people over the years in so many different ways. That God has gifted you. He has created you special, and he's given you giftings that are unique to you. And I said, not with me. I have no gifts. Well, I want to say, this is not appropriate at the time, but I want to say, well, one of them is complaining. You do have that gift, but that doesn't seem to help in those moments. So, <clears throat> but, but you really do. You have more, 
at your disposal that God has already ingrained within you than you ever give yourself credit for. God has designed you to, to walk with him in supernatural ways, but we don't see ourselves that way. We don't process our lives that way. We think that it has to be something else or somebody else or some other circumstance. She says, well, there's nothing. I have nothing at all. Well, except a flask of olive oil. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. This, how many jars they borrow is, is a, a reflection of how they really see the Lord during this whole thing. Guys, this is big for us. When God says to you, whatever it is, that for, for them, it's go borrow a bunch of jars from people. How many jars you borrow shows how real you think God is about this. Do you think God's in charge? Is he not in charge? If he says, I want you to do this, do you really do that? Or do you do it halfway? Or do you not, are you not all in? This, this, isn't, I, this message isn't about um, tithing. But let me tell you something here. The, the more we head into deeper session, I'm just telling you, the only thing I can do is say it to you. You've got to figure this out. But I'm going to warn you with everything in my spirit, you better tithe. If you will tithe, God will take care of you in the middle of a recession. God will. Malachi chapter 3, read it. Malachi chapter 3 says that when you tithe, your grapes stay on the vine longer and get bigger and get riper, and then they are more valuable. <clears throat> if you don't tithe, you do not have that promise, and your grapes will fall off the vine. And what's going to happen is people that are tithing and they're serving God and they're being obedient to God, they will be in not... not millionaires and stuff like that, but God will be taking care of and providing for them in the middle of a recession when right next to them, somebody else's grapes are falling off the vine. All I can do is tell you that. You say, well, I just don't know if this tithing thing is real. or whether I'm, I'm With everything in me, I'm telling you, you, you do not want to try to do a recession and definitely a depression without tithing. Because you do not have the promise that you're going to make it through. You say, well, I give God everything, just not my finances, okay? Then God will take care of you in every way except your finances. That's, that's, that's kind of like 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's like basics, right? Do what God has said, and it's amazing what God will do with you. All right? So we see this. How many, how many jars are they going to get? That's a determination of whether they're really all in. Tithing is a determination of whether you're all in. You're either all in or you're not. There's, to me, that's very black and white. I get, the, I get nuances. I, I do believe that they're there. Not really. So I, it's just, do you, are you going to be all in or you're not? Elisha says, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after the other out of a little bottle of olive oil. And here's the question that just gets me. What makes these people different than us today? Good answer. That's the truth. Because we do this, Right? We do this. We say, well, that's, you know, they're different. And then, you know, this is olive oil. We don't, we don't subsist on olive oil, right? I, I mean, 
we, we can categorize it in such a way because we do this in our mind. Satan helps a lot with, with wrong thoughts, but we do this in our brains where we convince ourselves that this is a total different context. Well, I don't, I don't sell olive oil. I have a job. I have a paycheck. This is, this is crucial. Get this. The fact that you have the ability to have a job is a God thing. Your job is not your source. It's where you get your paycheck. And, and then we tell ourselves, and I'm very strong about this. I believe in individualism. I believe in, the, in a work ethic, and I believe you work hard. And, and even in America today, even though it's changed a lot since I was a kid, the, the, the opportunities are not the same as when I was a kid. But I still believe in our country, you work hard. You, 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 I mean, you really work hard. You, you, you stay with your plan, and you can be successful, and you can be financially successful, and you don't have to, um, you don't have to live in poverty, all that kind of stuff. I believe that strongly. But you've got to work hard, okay? But I believe that. But at the end of the day, be careful because you're working hard. The ability that you have to work hard, whether it be physically or mentally or whatever, that's an, that's an ability that God's given you. You didn't, you didn't just have that. Even, even where you're born, what time of, of, of existence you're born into, all these other kind of things. I think sometimes we take for granted being born in America or having the opportunities in America. Go to other countries. It's difficult and we have this opportunity, but, but even then, that's because God said it. Well, I have intelligence. I can do this. Okay, but God gave you that intelligence. You didn't just have it. You didn't give it to you. You can learn, but even the ability to learn stuff is a God thing. <clears throat> but we have it so, so easy where, where we don't have to pray for our crops. We go to Walmart. We don't have to pray over our, our money. We just have a job. We get a paycheck. Because these are things that God does for us. Be careful when you start thinking, no, I got myself that job. Be careful with that. Because God is in charge of everything. And the more you submit that to him, the more you're in his arena, he can do some pretty big things with you. When you start owning this stuff and saying, it's mine, it's my money, it's my job, it's my life, it's my bank accounts, it's my uh, 401k, it's my time, it's my energy, my whatever. Be careful because God gave you all that stuff. And your responsibility is to serve God with it. To build his kingdom with your life, your family, your energy, your intelligence, your abilities. To build the kingdom of God. I do believe that God wants to take care of us and provide for us. But it's to build his kingdom, not to build your vacation home. It's his kingdom. So there's no confusion. There's nothing wrong with a vacation home. Okay, You understand what I'm saying? God wants to build his kingdom through you. And I believe he makes some people extremely wealthy... And God did it to build his kingdom. And some people don't do that with their resources. But that's what God gave it to them for. Because we've got to, we've got to get that and to stay, to stay there. I, I just as a warning, be careful with how you perceive your existence. It's from God. God's the one that's in charge of that. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she t said to her sons. There aren't any more, he, to he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. 
When she told the man of God what had happened, he said, Now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Why do we make this different than today? God can provide for you today just like he did then. It may not be olive oil, but it's amazing what God can do if we put him first and everything. So what, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit. What happens if it's intentional? That it's not just um, like uh, a drought that causes uh, um, uh, crops not to be the same or whatever. But this is an intentional thing because I really do believe, and I may, I may separate from some of you here, but I really do believe that what is going on in our country right now is, is actually intentional. I don't think this is an accidental uh, recession. I believe this is intentional. I've been saying this for months and months and months now. There is something called the Great Reset. This is, this is actually intentional. Um, the World Economic Forum that was just four weeks ago or five weeks ago, George Soros and Klaus, they were at that. They, they gave speeches about this. And Klaus actually wrote a book about this. And, and, um, and he talks about um, that they are in control. They said this. I, you can go online and look at video clips right now. It's, five years ago, this was a conspiracy theory. I was saying this five years ago, and I would have people say, do you really believe that stuff? It's, it's now they're just saying it in public. So it's no longer a, a conspiracy theory. It's just reality. And they're talking about how they're going to control that. The, um, the markets, the financial markets, by dealing with uh, medicines, physical health, um, the uh, crops, people eating, agricultural, all that kind of stuff. And they just openly talk about this, how they're going to control all this stuff. Denmark just now um, made it illegal for farmers to farm in Denmark now. Look this up. I'm not making this up. It is now illegal to farm in Denmark. And the reason is because tractors have uh, carbon emissions. So you cannot have carbon emissions. So they took, they're taking their physical, the government is taking the farms from the farmers in Denmark and they're going to use these farms for uh, the immigrants that are coming into the country illegally. You cannot make this stuff up. This is so bizarre. And so somebody in first service said, well, how are they going to eat? You're, you're silly and small-minded when you think like that. This is so much bigger than you eating. This is the environment, people. We are destroying the planet. You don't need to eat. It's, it's just stupid stuff. Now, what happens when this is intentional, which I do believe it is, If you say, well, that's just all conspiracy, Google it yourself. Google the Great Reset. Listen to these people say, just four or five weeks ago, saying, we will control the planet. We will control the food markets. We will control the fuel markets. We will control all this stuff. And there is nothing the world can do about it. They said this. And we go, no, that's not really happening. So what happens when it's intentional? Does that take away who God is? Think about this. Soros can think he can control the whole planet, but Jesus is still bigger. And, and even our government can, can, can control and take away the ability. This is one that just got me this last week. I don't understand. My brain disconnects with my spirit. I know Jesus is in charge, but sometimes I'm like, Jesus, <clears throat> I know you're God. But the level of stupidity in Washington is so high, I don't know if you're big enough 
to handle this. I know you guys, you had to have heard this, um, where uh, Biden released a bunch of oil from the reserves and then sold it to China. I am paying $5 a gallon so we can sell our reserves. This isn't, this isn't excess. This is our reserves we're selling to Chinese companies. So this is intentional. What happens? Is God still in charge? Because here we have to realize <clears throat> the whole book of Daniel is God being in charge even under ungodly kings, even under control, manipulation. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see where this, um, they're besieged, they're, uh, they've besieged the, the city. They are, are, they've been attacking the city, siege it, so you can't get food in and out, all that kind of stuff, okay? So we're just going to jump into the middle of that story in verse 24 of uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Sometime later, however, King Benadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. This was intentional. They wanted there to be a great famine because that's how you win the war. That's how you get the, them to open the city gates and come in. So there's a great famine. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. This there's no possible way in the natural that this could be. This could be. All right? we, are, we are approaching things right now where there's no way in the natural. And this is coming back. Again, I, I'm, I'm going to vote for a conservative to be in any position I can vote for because it makes a difference, right? But here's the thing. Be careful when you think that's your hope. It's not your hope. This is one of the things that, that bothers me a little bit and worries me about where we are in America and where the church is, the, the, this amazing miracle that God did overturning Roe versus Wade, I'm, I'm worried that the church is going to go, we want a battle. And there's been a lot since then, right? The Supreme Court has made some major rulings, Second Amendment, all kinds of stuff that are, that are major rulings. And conservatism has won so much in the last two or three weeks, like more than in, in years previous. Now, you're not hearing it on the news because they hate it. And, but this is reality. But here's what I'm worried about, is the church will say, oh, we overturned Roe versus Wade. We won. And then we go back to the lazy thing we were before COVID, that we weren't engaged, we weren't concerning ourselves, I, I, that, that we somehow just think, well, we won the war. We, we're, we haven't hardly won anything. We haven't, our, our country's still crumbling around our ears. They're, they're, they're still teaching uh, first graders, what transgenderism is by having uh, transgender nightclub dancers come in and dance for them. We're not winning. The kingdom of God is being attacked, and the church has been lazy and nothing. And so we see a few battles win, and I'm, I'm worried, I'm scared that the church is going to go, oh, we won, and kick back and stop fighting. Guys, all we have done, all we have done is we've got a little bit of traction. We need to move. We need to move forward. We need to seek God. We need to pray. We need to get in the word. We need to teach truth. We need to witness. We need to get into the community and to talk about this stuff. 
All we've got now is traction to do all that. Let's not, let's not lay down and get lazy about this. We're seeing, right now we're seeing an impossibility going on. There's, there's, there's no way in the natural right now that we can see our country turn around. There's no way in the natural. It has to be supernatural. And I don't think just an election is going to be um, the, a big enough change. I think we've got to have Because here's the reality. Okay, here's, here's, here's where it gets scary. Is uh, Giselle just got convicted and is going to serve 20-something years or the rest of her life, basically, in prison for helping Epstein um, traffic children? Here's my question. To who? Who were these children trafficked to? Because we're not hearing any of those names. You know why? They're politicians in Washington. They're movie stars. They're the powerful elite. And many, many of them on both sides of the aisle in Washington are buying kids. That To think somehow we're winning... And that just changing the president, Trump tried to, to drain that swamp. That's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about taxes. He was talking about the evil that is Washington. And both sides stood up and ran him out. Guys, an election won't do it. We've got to turn our face to God and say, God, you've got to do this. this it, it's not going to happen in the natural. And so he says... Elisha replied, listen to this message. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one grain of silver. Twelve quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, this couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. It's interesting that he quotes Malachi before Malachi wrote it. This is the exact sentence out of Malachi that God promises you and I, if we'll tithe, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out on you more than you can contain. And this guy says, even if God himself opened the windows of heaven, and this is where you got to be careful when you start speaking for God. Because God doesn't care what you think. He speaks for himself. And Elisha said, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay, stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they will kill us, but if they kill us, we will have died anyway. That is a great focus to life right there. <laughs> Verse 5, so, so at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. The Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoned their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. Verse 14, I'm going to jump down. So this is they, they, these, two guys, these four guys, they go tell the... the uh, the king, all the things that have happened, right? So two chariots were ho with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. <clears throat> they went all the way to the Jordan River. Look at this, following a trail of clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. 
The, the people were just wanting food. God gave them tools, weapons, clothes, new wardrobes. That, that's how big God is. We don't think that. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm all in if you get a new wardrobe. I think we're missing the point if that's the point, right? So, but here's the thing. God will take care of you, and he will take care of you beyond what you can imagine. He will take care of you beyond anything the natural can provide. Because why? He's supernatural. <clears throat> All he has to do is reach down and take the rock off our lives. But for us, we've got to get our mind and our spirit there. That that's what he wants to do. We've got to get there. Because that affects the way you pray, the way you think. When it comes time to collect jars, are you going to collect a lot of jars or just a few jars? Can God do big stuff or is he just going to do little stuff? Everything was left. <clears throat> the scouts returned and told the king. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true. In one day, it was true. Six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. Elisha prophesied this, but it wasn't like they released a list of all the prices it should be the next day. This is just the way it worked out. But God knew that. And he prophesied through Elisha about this, tells us. The king appointed his officer, the one that said, even if the, gates of, even if the Lord opened the gates of heaven, it wouldn't be good enough. The, guy, the king appointed that guy to control the traffic at the gate. But he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. What makes them different than us? As God wants to do big stuff. Why don't you stand with me? Three things. <clears throat> First thing, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't pay attention to the news. Don't pay attention to all this stuff. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's going to be a lot of bad news on the horizon. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is still bigger than anything. Bigger than the stock market. Bigger than anything. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The second thing is tithe and obey God's financial laws. Now, some of us, probably all of us could use this, but um, you might need to do some cleaning house financially, right? You may not need a subscription to every TV service out there. You might could cut back on a few. I would suggest start with Disney. That's just me. But maybe trim some things up. Stop using your credit cards. There's some natural things that God shows us about uh, financial stuff that maybe we can just clean house a little bit, right? These are good times to do that kind of stuff. Back up on some of your spending like that. But also tithe, follow God's laws. If you'll do this stuff, God will provide for us. Okay, and then the last one is just don't worry and fear. Satan wants to control you with fear. Don't get scared. And this family would, every time something financial would happen, they would like start selling everything, sell all their cars and buy cars that had, get better gas mileage. And I just sat down with this guy one time and ended up, I said, you sold these two cars, bought these two cars. You're spending more per month than, than three times the amount of gas because you, you reacted. Don't react. Follow God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get scared. Another physical thing is going to become another disease, another something that we're going to need vaccines for and everything else. Don't let Satan manipulate you with fear. God is still in charge. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see you right now. Lord, help us to see through all the stuff and just see you. Jesus, I want to I keep my eyes on you. I want to keep my eyes on your word. Lord, you've promised stuff. I want to I live there, not what the world tells me, but I want to live what you're telling me. You're in charge no matter what the World Economic Forum does. You're in charge. You're in charge no matter what China does or Korea or Putin or Iran. You are in charge. God, help us to get there in our spirit right now. Lord, open our eyes spiritually to see that you're in charge. You're in charge of every financial thing on the planet. You told us that nothing was made, Jesus, that you didn't make. So, Lord, help us to get our eyes on you. That you're the beginning and the end of everything. The beginning of my faith and the end of my faith is you. You're the Alpha and the Omega of everything. You started this planet and you'll be standing reigning supreme when it's done. And everything else is just people and circumstances and details. So help us to keep our eyes on you. God, and I pray that that you you wash away all the junk and the muck and, and chip away at the walls that we build up that keep us from seeing that you're the provider. That keep us from seeing your power. Keep us from seeing how big you are. Lord, we let some of the the most routine things of life eclipse your majesty and your power and your glory. God, help us to push through and keep our eyes on you. Lord, let your word grow and be active in our life. Lord, and I do pray for anybody in this room that's that's not sure about this whole tithing thing. Lord, you show them. You show them. You said that in your word. You show them. Lord, help us to depend upon you. Not on our jobs, not on our paychecks, not on our retirement plans. We depend upon you. We depend upon you. Lord, I put my life in your hands. Guys, you might want to say that to him, something like that. Lord, I give you me. I put my life in your hands. My job, I give it to you. I give you my family. You're going to provide for us. Help me not to be afraid and to worry. Lord, you love my kids, my grandkids, more than I love them. You're going to take care of them. Lord, I know this. You love this church more than I love this church. You're going to take care of us. God, put that into our spirit right now. Lord, when we see the stuff we see the markets change or we see inflation or interest rates or whatever, Lord, help us just to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the frog and the rock is a visual that I want you to keep when you're through this week. 
next few months, whatever, when you see something, you hear something, when that fear starts creeping in and what's going to happen, am I going to have a job, those kind of things, just, just in your mind, just see Jesus taking the rock off. It's that simple. God's going to take care of you. So before noon tomorrow, he's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell somebody about Jesus. It's their hope too, and it's their only hope. So tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them how glad that you are that that they're here. And we will see you at uh, the Tent Crusade sometime through this week. If not, we'll see you next weekend. Have a great rest of your afternoon.